This is Michael Tidwell. And this is Michael B. Casey. And this is Block Time, where our blocks are full of shit. All right. And um, what are you drinking there, Mike? Uh, the usual. A little bit of Crown and Diet. This one's a double. I am actually trying something new. It's Blackberry Moonshine, and it tastes very good. Nice. Yeah, it's like a whiskey, though. Looks good. Um, yeah, they pour really good drinks here. We need to start coming here to record our podcast. Usually moonshines are clear. That's bad. I know. It's, uh, it's a different kind. Anyways, we have a full list of random stuff uh, to get to. Oh, it's first on the docket. <clears throat> well, I did kick... <laughs> I did get kicked out of a of a black only meetup group. Uh, Why did a couple you show weeks ago. up to a black only meetup group? So, first off, I wasn't even allowed to show up. Okay. So it was a meetup group, and it was about black cryptocurrency, right? Yep. And it was on like Martha, Martin Luther King Boulevard or something. Uh-huh. And the and the guy was like, "I don't want you to come to my meetup group." Uh-huh. <laughs> You're showing and, up in blackface. That would be awesome. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, so, anyways, so I, at first I thought, okay, this is a little racist. Like, I don't oh, know. This mean? is funny. Like, it's funny because it's like, um, like I'm not allowed to come because I'm not black. So oh. so I, I, I messaged him and I asked, um, why can't I come? And he pretty much said, well, you know, you're not black. And, and uh, I, I posted that in the dojo. Not even five or ten minutes later, Chris DeRose joins the meetup group. And uh-huh. So so I get kicked out. So I he, he kicks me out and he removes me from his group. I, I check back I check back at his group again. Chris DeRose has RSVP'd to his meetup group. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> and and then uh, I think he gets kicked out too, but so he messages me back and he says because I, I, I kinda push him for a little bit more of an answer. And he's like, look, I don't want you getting hurt. I don't want you getting beaten up kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, it's kind of like, all right, well, he's kind of looking out for me. But Well, this is the problem with affinity. <coughs> affinity groups is, by definition, they're exclusionary. And by definition, they promote divisions from people and basically segregating people amongst certain lines. Like, I mean, that's the thing, though. Like, you talk about, like, feminism. Well, you know, nobody says you can't be a feminist and have a penis. You know, those you, you can show up to a feminist meeting. It's usually not fun. But, but you can show up to it. They're not going to kick you out. You well, know, it depends on the feminist meeting, I guess. So this is this is actually what he wrote to me cuz uh, I kind of forgot. <clears throat> but he says uh, so so the, the funny part is I actually had previous correspondence with him because he's come to my meetup group and he's asked me uh, technical questions and stuff. So um, I didn't even realize I, I've actually met him in the past and talked to him. So he but started it, his own black group. Yeah, essentially. He says, hello, Michael. Really don't think this is a meetup group that you should come to or be interested in. You should really do some research on what Black Wall Street is all about. And he sends me a YouTube link that's about two, almost three hours long. And I actually, I'm, I'm curious. I skimmed through it, and it's pretty much just how, uh, you know, what uh, black people have been oppressed uh-huh. by uh, white people. And uh, he... This is this is interesting. He he calls himself an Afro descendant, and the first thing I thought of was Afro man. Okay. I kind of at one point had a, I don't know. I kind of want to be. If I had a fro, would I be an Afro descendant? Uh, I don't know. Jews have fros. That's what I was thinking. I think Jews are Jews are allowed to come to his uh, meetup group as well. 
but well, non. I, mean, I, don't know. I just don't like the the whole fact that these are exclusionary in general. Um, I mean, it's one thing to have a promotion group, but you know, I don't know. I don't. I don't think that the the people that he's dealing with and trying to educate will be particularly better served by being you know excluding members of potential members of the group that may know a lot. I don't know. I just thought it was funny. Um, there, there's, you know, to speak of that, there's actually a couple of meetup groups sprouting out uh, in the area besides just ours in uh, Bitcoin Atlanta. Oh, yeah? So the the Dash group. I would like, I would like just to note, our meetup takes all. It takes all comers. So if you, if you want to show up, come and show up to the Atlanta blockchain. Oh, yeah. We bear all. <laughs> if, you, if you want, we, we're not just limited to Atlanta. If you want to fly down, come on. Actually, oh, yeah. we've had a couple of people from pretty far. We had a guy from Alabama. Phoenix. Yeah, one guy from Phoenix. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. He was bizarre. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. <laughs> well, we do bear all. We we provide free uh, free food and free drinks if you want to come down to the Atlanta blockchain. And meetup. we're always looking for sponsors. You want to sponsor? <laughs> That's usually all, your job. Maybe. We're looking for newbies, <laughs> experts, whoever. Yeah. Um, More the merrier. But, yeah, I was going to say, there's another meetup group that's sprouted out in Atlanta in the Suwannee area. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a Dash-specific meetup. And recently, I think over the year, I've been becoming less of a fan of Dash. Um, just because I don't, I don't really know if I can justify why all of a sudden versus, you know, or not all of a sudden, but why I've been slowly transitioning out of liking Dash versus me not really caring beforehand. Well, I'm still kind of neutral on it. Although I, I will say that when we had we had Evan Duffield and Amanda B. Johnson do do a presentation, I actually yeah, that was I, fun. I liked it. I thought there was it was a fun time. But I mean, the entire entire time on evolution, um, I just saw them. They were trying to build a marketplace, and they're trying to build like a circular economy with Dash. But that can't be forced. I don't think you can't just say, "Oh, we're gonna open up a bunch of shops and." Yeah. I don't know. So, so most of the stuff that came with me, I, I'm not a huge fan of Evolution or anything I've seen in it. I, I just don't see the appeal. Like, I, I bought into Darkcoin originally, not Dash, um, and I, I, you know, I stuck with it. But I don't, you know, I haven't seen anything new since Instant X. Well, I do I, remember one thing from Evan's uh, meetup, which was he wanted to make it. Or his grandma could use it. I remember that specifically. Yeah, but that's UX issues. Mostly. No, I just remember that's what that's what he right. was getting at. Well, I, I think we need to get there. That's one of the things that you know at the conference that that Bitcoin Airlog and I were arguing about is I think the UX needs to be way simpler for everything because right now it is not grandma simple. <clears throat> so from my and I guess we can talk about Dash for a little bit. From my kind of observations especially with the bu folk Mm -hmm. um it seems like the biggest uh you know arguments against dash are the insta mine for one yeah and the fact that the rich get richer um through master nodes Mm -hmm. so in other words it is definite consolidation of wealth yeah so 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 i think a lot of the argument is it can it can be uh easily centralized uh with the master node kind of idea the other the other thing that they uh, that they talk about you know these aren't necessarily things that I think about so I'm glad they they uh, they bring these things up but the the amount of mining is ultimately what secures your network and how it's uh, 
not a hundred percent of so, the reward. So yeah, that that part I disagree with. I believe okay, I, I agree. I agree completely with the centralization. Um, that that's something I've always always seen since they came up with the the master node idea for dark send, which I don't know what they call it now, but it private used to be send, private send. Yeah, they everything that's dark they just made yeah. uh, PG. You know, pri private send and instant X, and 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 you know, it, it's interesting technically the way they did it. Uh, I I honestly do think the master node effectively coin join implementation they have is very interesting, but are you recording? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, you scared me. No, I was just I was just looking at the H four now. No, keep right. going. So, um, so but ever since they came up with the Masternode network, that has always scared me because quite literally, what Dash is doing with their private send function or instant well private send is they're operating a coin join mixer in a centralized fashion where two nodes win. At least this is the last I remember it. I haven't read up in a while. Uh, and two nodes operate in the. Uh, the premix uh, for for that round, and they, they actually verify that all the funds went through, uh, and basically it can be said that according to U.S. law, those nodes could be complicit in money laundering. I mean, I don't you know I don't know enough to say that, but I know enough to know that hey, that could potentially be called. So if they identify you operate a master node and it is involved in a specific transaction that they can build a case for for money laundering then um, I have a feeling one day they, they could take some people to jail over it, just to make an example out of them. Because I don't think they're going to like this one single bit. You don't have problems like that with Monero because everything's done by default. See, the same problem with Zcash a little bit. Because when you have optional, then you're explicitly hiding certain transactions. That's know? a good point. Like some, something like Monero, all transactions are kind of obfuscated the same way. Right. Or they're, so they're, there's, they're no, been, there's yeah. no intentional obfuscation other than the fact that yeah. you're just using this. You know, that's actually, that's actually an interesting point. Um, so just, just for our audience, we're not necessarily trying to pump any coin on this no. podcast. So we're not telling you to buy Dash by any means. Uh, we're just try just, to understand. Yeah, them. just to let you know the flow of this kind of podcast where we'll just be discussing ideas and brainstorming. But I think, I mean, I would say I'm pro-Bitcoin, but I don't know if I'm going out on a limb to I'm say I'm... definitely bullish on Bitcoin. Yeah. I mean, it, it, with, other than the major, you know, the sort of Damocles hanging over the head, which is the scalability issues. So, so what do you think, what do you, uh, what do you think about the, the idea where since not all the mining reward is going to the miners, it would cost significantly less to attack the network. So, so okay, yeah, I, I'm not worried about that because, it, you know, that is 45% of X, right? So it doesn't really matter because um, that could be affected much more by the price going up or down than by the fact that you go to 45%. So the price has, in fact, gone up by like double or something since at least at one point in time, in which case it's more secure now based on those calculations than it was then. So do you think with their model that they actually have a higher dash price, which actually makes it more secure for them, even though they have a lower percentage? It's possible, but I, I really I, I can't speculate that that, that, that caused it. But what I'm saying is the 45% versus the 100% is arbitrary. Either it's insecure or it's secure. So, so you know, above a certain threshold, it is secure. Below that threshold, it is insecure. But, I mean, even even if, okay, so say, let's let's change the argument a little bit. Say it was 100% um, and, and uh, they, uh, say it was 100% of it, but they still don't earn enough to secure the network. You know, it, it doesn't really matter. If 45% is good enough, then it is good enough. But 
It's, it's, I don't know. I don't buy the argument that 45% in and of itself means the network is insecure. I mean, it okay. may be, that's, but. That's fine. Let's, let's, so speaking of altcoins, um, OneCoin has a alternative now. It's actually, OneCoin has some competition with a Swiss coin and E-Dinar coin, in my opinion. Ah, uh, yeah. So. I read a little bit about Swiss coin. I, it, it's, it's funny <laughs> to see something ape uh, OneCoin that closely. It, it, it's, it's amazing that, that one of these exists, let alone <laughs> multiple. It, it's kind of incredible to me. I, so for, for those of you who haven't really researched OneCoin or SwissCoin or anything, it's just it really is amazing how things go from being, okay, this might be legitimate, to being, okay, this is kind of a scammy kind of altcoin, to this is just a plain out scam by any measure. Like to the point where... You know, we talk about, or not we, but I, I remember, you know, BU saying, the, you know, some of the best, you know, some of the scammers don't know they're scamming. I find it very hard to believe that the top level uh, people of, uh, you know, not. OneCoin and stuff don't know that so, they're and, scamming. And I was talking to Fluffy, Fluffy Pony, uh, the conference, and he had a very interesting take on that. Because he said, because, you know, part of the thing and why I say, well, you know, Dash may not be all that great in certain regards, but it's an experiment. It's experimental. Sure. They're, they're trying new shit. Sure. And he said, well, yeah, but how far do you take that? Because you could say, <laughs> well, one coin's an experiment. And, you know, truly, and, you know, he's kind of right in that regard. I mean, it, it, except for, you know, the, the, distinguish, the distinguishment that I make is one is an over-intentional scam with absolutely no, no uh, desire to follow through in any way, shape, or form. The other one, you know, it's jury's out, but it's likely not. They're, you know, they stand to gain much more by it succeeding than to fold a Ponzi. So, uh, especially with the Instamine, <laughs> if you think about it that way. Um, but um, so, anyways. So, well, well, okay. Let's let's. I'd like to explore one point a little bit more. Do you remember how we first came across this? Do you remember? Uh, so, because I remember, I had never heard of it. So, so yeah. This is <laughs> so my big thing, especially like in 2015. Yeah. I, Beginnings of like you know 2014 I think as well. I was super researching all these altcoins, and and I think the biggest point about one coin was that they didn't appear on Coin Market Cap. Oh well, yeah, no. So you you what I remember is you texted me or you yeah, yeah, said, yeah. oh that's you it. said yeah that's what it. is this one coin I'm seeing everywhere? I'm like what? Yeah yeah. So so I was <laughs> texting you and I was saying why like I was so confused. It's almost like. When something is there, I don't understand. I have to explore the shit out. Yeah. And I was saying to you, "What's one coin?" I text you, "What is this? What is this?" And and I, what was I, it? I, I had to go and then, and then immediately, and like, immediately you, know, you had an answer for me, which was very impressive. <laughs> I, I, I took about three three Google searches. Yeah. I was like, "This is a fucking scam." <laughs> I was I was very impressed with your ability to immediately because it took me it took me probably I don't know I just couldn't believe something so popular. Was a you know a multi-level marketing kind of idea for like well there's bullshit, there's like but... three 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 main go-to searches I go to one is coin market cap see if it's posted so that gives the coin legitimacy at least that it's there and then two you know there's there's a couple other ones I don't remember what they are I'd have to search for them that actually tell you and they compare all the different coins in the ecosystem and their mining attributes their you know total supply their oh. difficulty all, all that all the information about a coin and I looked and there was nothing absolutely nothing for this so I, I so this is this <laughs> is my research it consisted of a lot of YouTube videos <laughs> yeah. and a lot of the YouTube videos were made by onecoin uh, uh, fanatics or you know paid spokesmen or whatever 
Yeah. And I was just like, why are these people pumping one coin? And they would be, they would have so many one coin videos. And it's like, obviously, like these people have been told to make videos or whatever for their affiliate program or whatever. Right. And well, yeah, I'm sure that's how they earn more one coin. Yeah. I, proof of proof of video. Proof oh, of pump. <laughs> proof of pump. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. P O P. Yeah. Anyways, so. Not to get off, I want to talk about some other things that are happening with meetups. Uh, so Jack Shaw and Ed Shaw, they're, they're brothers. Um, I only met Jack. I've never met Ed. So so they just came up with, like, I don't know, maybe the most buzzword-filled meetup group I've ever seen. It was, like, fintech, uh, IoT, cryptocurrency, blockchain meetup the group. Panacea. Yeah, they had, like, one other. Oh, it was, like, big data... IOT, blockchain, fintech meetup. Anyways, they're coming out with a company, and they're, they have this meetup group to talk about their company, I think, yeah. is, is like the structure, as well as like maybe other subjects. But so you sent me a video. Is this the fire thing? Yeah, fire chain. Fire, fire, fire chain. chain. Yeah. So, so I don't know what was up with that, but they took the fire metaphor way too far. You know what's funny? <laughs> their meetup group was here. Yeah, the Ed Gordon Beers where yeah. we're recording right now. Yeah, their meetup group was here, and I totally crashed it. Oh, nice. So, so, I, I tried not to be rude. I was told by a couple people there that I talked to afterwards, or several people there afterwards, that they said I wasn't rude. You went, you went to a OneCoin conference too, like a OneCoin meeting. Oh yeah. Right? yeah. Well, yeah, I wasn't going to talk about that. Oh, I'm okay. embarrassed to say I actually fell for going to that. Yeah. But yeah, they. they well, I mean, I mean, it was blockchain, right? Yeah, okay. they they didn't yeah. say OneCoin on. But anyways, the, the one that Ed was running or. Uh, he was sick. He had uh, a co-partner come to to advertise for it. it. It was really interesting because I started asking them hard questions about uh, blockchain and why, how they're using blockchain, why they're using blockchain. Um, is it really a blockchain? And and the and they didn't try to hide the fact that there were no blocks. Yeah, that was the most interesting part. So they they were calling their blockchain a d a distributed network. Of nodes that they all owned, yeah. Then it's not really and, centralized. In any well, way hold on. They they own all the nodes and they help with authentication to their network. That's the blockchain. Mm -hmm. It was it was uh, distributed authentication. So essentially, authentication service. So Facebook authenticate, you know, whatever. So that was their blockchain. Yeah. But Facebook authentication service? Well, you know how Facebook has probably a massively distributed authentication service that, you know, if someone in China or, you know, someone in India or whatever Dude, tries gotta, to authenticate to Facebook. Next week. I had a preview. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what do you go, that's what Jason goes into. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's authentication. Well, hold on. No, I'm, I'm talking about like normal services that you use for OAuth. Right. So, yeah. so, so it's a distributed. So they're right. pretty much oh, well, going yeah, up blockchain. Yeah. All right. Totally crashed that meetup. The guy was getting upset with me. At, at one point, he was he was uh, he was getting flustered, and he was saying he, he said, "Read my book." <laughs> that's, a, that's a great comment. Yeah. Read my book. <laughs> yeah. Read my book. And um, Apparently he was like some executive of like AT and T or something. He was like a senior partner. I don't know. And he's well, coming he to do this out of retirement. Together, but but it, it's just funny because I, I try to protect the word blockchain as much as possible. So what I was telling him is, 
you know, you, you, I, I really care about your project. I want to make sure y'all don't look stupid when y'all when y'all get in front of other technical people and investors. So I wouldn't use the word blockchain as well. I was telling them, and that that didn't they go over to, so well. That's the buzzword. Anyways. Well, I mean, so what it looked like, what it looked like they were trying to do, because you sent me the PowerPoint that he sent you about that, and which the first like it was a video first, yeah, it was and the first like three minutes were kind of weird. Yeah, it it was very weird. (laughs) But I mean, it looked like they were trying to do like the basic functionality of like uh, a consortium chain, but instead of you know they were trying to combine that with securing documents instead of like moving funds around. But, I mean, where they lost me is then they introduced the concept of a token. I mean, if you're securing documents, there's no token necessary. And if you're, uh, if you're, the only reason for a consortium blockchain than a traditional blockchain is if you're dealing with denominated funds, is if uh, the, you know, you're doing something like U.S. dollars, where U.S. dollars can't be denominated as a blockchain security. I mean, not directly. You have to use a proxy like Tether or whatever. Die. So we might. I don't know if you're if you're up for this, but we might get Ed or Jack um, on like a Google Hangouts to discuss Firechain. Okay. And explore uh, their blockchain idea. So that might be fun. That video made my head hurt. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, so uh, to keep going with other meetups, uh, a guy named Jay who runs the New York, uh, the the New York Bitcoin meetup group mm-hmm. over there. Uh, was really impressive. So he gave a meetup. Uh, he hosted a meetup pretty much in Miami uh-huh. before the, oh, so the hackathon. Was, this was before I got there. Yeah. Gotcha. And he was. Oh, really, this was New York invades Miami. Nope, yeah. That's it. So so Jay came down and uh, he he was really interesting because he he really knew what he was talking about. So he definitely seems like he's in the realm of like Bitcoin maximalist kind of kind of mm-hmm. deal. Um, Seems to have his head on, right? Uh, he he was easy to talk to, and and uh, he brought up an interesting point on the on the. Uh, so I brought up block size, right? And I wanted to talk about that, and he was fielding you know questions as they came in, kind of during his presentation. He brings up a he brought up an interesting idea because I don't think I think the biggest ache of of bigger blocks isn't necessarily that you have to have a hard drive now that holds more data. It's the fact that you have to now validate this entire block. Well, I mean, if you, if you hear if you hear the reasons, and propagation, couple, yeah, validation and propagation. Yeah, validation so, being the lesser one. Well, yeah. I, well, I was going to say I was going to say the actual storage of the data being the lesser of the reasons. Well, that depends. No, not entirely. In fact, you know, to hear Blockstream side, their major argument for it is. Because well, there will be uh, argument against bigger blocks directly is there will be a drop in node count because people won't be able to. So if you take it to its logical conclusion and you keep ramping up on it, you're, you know, then nobody will be able to afford to run, post. What do you mean logical code. conclusion? So like say say we block size increases. Okay, block size increases more. Okay, it increases more. Okay, you're saying no, slippery saying slope to slippery slope yeah. to. Um, to the fact that nobody can run their own node. And I, I've seen this argument come out over and over and over again. I think this this ignores, you know, effects like Moore's Law, um, where whereas, you know, the space of hard drives and bandwidth and has been the growing cost. in the an cost. exponential rate. Cost has been yeah. decreasing. And this is a pattern that's become... And yeah, I know there are cases of people who live in third world countries who don't necessarily have it. 
but they can connect one of the other nodes that does, and, and you know, if they want to invest, they can. And you know, the whole counter argument to that has always been that if you have more inclusiveness, then if businesses are involved in Bitcoin, then it will behoove them to host their own full nodes and bear the cost of that. So then the ecosystem will be, you know, quite redundant and sound. Okay, so my opinion is that is the least of the concern as far as uh, block size. Okay, yeah, uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying but, it's not. I, I kind of agree with you. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, it's very. It's all subjective, so, so, I guess, well, or the, at least to some level. The issue with propagation is largely due to the Great Firewall of China. That's okay. pretty much the big part. That's actually what I wanted to talk about. So Jay brought up an interesting point where China owns the majority of the hash rate. Yeah. And if we start increasing block size, and let's say block size was 20 megabytes, and we were actually filling it to 20 megabytes mm -hmm. in, a, in some kind of different world, right? Yeah. So let's say blocks were 20 megabytes, and they're getting completely filled to 20 megabytes. Now... What he was saying was, we would start, uh, since China wouldn't be able to propagate those blocks out to the network fast, that we would be burning and wasting time uh, building our own chains just to get sniped by uh, six, you know, well, five I mean, or six blocks of honestly, China that if, just if, if now is getting propagated that, out. That's not a propagation issue, because if they wanted to do that, they could just do a block withholding attack, the same, the same thing. That's actually what I argued during the, right. during the meetup. Um, I said, well, see, actually, you know what's funny is there's actually several people in the audience that were trying to, that I, I feel like didn't understand that. So yeah. what I was saying was it doesn't matter, you know, we shouldn't try to hold ourselves hostage. If, if, if raising the block size is a good idea, which I'm not saying it is, but I'm saying if it is, we shouldn't hold ourselves hostage to China as far as their slow uh, network. Well, see, that's something I've never got, right? Because, um, so, so... Right now, the way it stands is it, you get uh, a benefit of mining if you get superior hardware, which China happens to own all the chip and die. Okay, I think that's kind of Darwinian, right? That's natural, right? Because obviously, if you have better equipment, okay. Well, and then but then efficiency plays into it too. So uh, aside from that, if you have subsidized electricity, so so the Chinese they have the majority of the mining power mostly because they have subsidized very, very cheap electricity costs. And on top of that, they have the closest access to the chip die. So they have a couple of natural built-in advantages. So, I mean, and I'm not talking about leveling the playing field, but hey, they have a natural disadvantage too, and that is the fact that their latency sucks because of the Great Firewall of China. So because they have these other national advantages, should we cater to the fact, you know, to say, hey, oh, we have to give China, we have to account for them more because, I, I just don't really see that because I think I think bandwidth is something else that is a precious resource that is diverse and diversely spread, and it it really matters because you know, but it, it all depends. And a lot of this argument, by the way, has been obviated with a couple of things. Thin blocks have come out. They've made massive strides in 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 compressing the information that's needed to relay uh, the fact that a block was found and the information contained inside it. They, they switched over to headers first. Um, no. I, I forget exactly what the deal is, but I mean, a lot of those old arguments have been addressed. Not perfectly, but it, things are in a lot better shape than they were for communicating back and forth with China. And a lot of that was actually, from what I hear, due to the work done by the BU team. An alternative solution was found by the core team. I don't know how related those are, 
but all I know is things are a lot better than they used to be in that regard. All right, Mike. One, uh, so I, I think maybe the thing I found interesting about what Jay was bringing up was it's almost like, so instead of doing a, a, a 51% attack or whatever, it's almost like it's a network partitioned 51% attack just because of the majority of miners are right. there, so they propagate to each other quickly. Yeah. I just thought that was an interesting concept. It's true. Because, because we're not really necessarily talking about uh, a 51% attack in the generic sense where everyone's like on the same network. But we're talking about uh, we're talking about like an attack where you don't you're not even necessarily withholding blocks, but you're but because of because all the miners are on the same network, uh, they're they're actually it amounts to a cooperative block withholding. Exactly, it's like they don't have to they don't have to, so with a so normally they would like have the pools would have to coordinate that yeah, kind of attack, but, but just because they're in the same network, they're aligned and they're now here's another completely. thought: if let's say the U, the U S had a real cheap electricity and then the majority of the mining came to the US mm-hmm. and now propagation to China is very slow because it's let's say going through their firewall into China is slow that would almost incentivize uh, miners or whatever to get out of China or to 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 find some way of reading that information in quickly it, yeah. it would be interesting if it was the other way around because yeah. we would not because if because uh, we wouldn't purposely you know, make blocks small to, you know. Well, what would be interesting is it actually might disincentivize the Chinese government to restrict flow of this particular type of information. That's, <laughs> because they, yeah, they that may, firewall might be let up. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, they could still keep most of the functionality of the firewall intact, but they could just, hey, open up the ports here. <laughs> well, they would, they, so if they want to stick, it's like you're almost, you're almost forcing their hand, you're almost forcing them to, to do something like well, that. Well, I mean, so, which is so interesting. Let's, let's talk about China for a second, because uh, the People's Bank of China, that's been big news the last week. So uh, the People's Bank of China, they went to uh, at least two of them. Eventually they went to like the third. So there's Hubei, OKCoin, and BTCC. Those are the three big ones that I know of in China. Um, And they went to the first two of them. They had these meetings and basically they said, hey, cut the shit. Um, So so, a couple of interesting things from that. One, uh, the uh, leverage trading has been ceased by now, actually, at all exchanges, they say it's a temporary measure, and uh, they, they have two sites. Most of them have two sites, an inward-facing one to China and an outward-facing one to the rest of the world. And initially, they just ceased uh, leverage trading on the inward to China uh, and left the other one open. But now, I believe they've closed it on both. So I think, uh, effectively, it was a crackdown. And instantly, we saw volumes just drop like a stone. Uh, so volumes on some of the exchanges dropped 99%. So, you know, what does that tell you about leverage trading? And now we're starting to see some exchanges saying they're going to look into adopting an appropriate fee structure. The Chinese exchanges have traditionally been free, which many people have been led to believe leads to a lot of fake volume because you can sit back and you can trade with yourself all day long uh, and generate fake volume. And it kind of behooves you to, well... I'm trying to think because I heard an argument for that that it behooves you to do that because you get volume discounts, but if it's free, that doesn't make sense. So I don't know why they would do that other than to pump the volume on the exchange. But um, but yeah, so now leverage is effectively gone in China, which for good or ill, I mean, I'm I'm curious to see what kind of impact that has. So you now. Uh, now, we still have a couple of other exchanges uh, that are outside. Uh, I think Kraken offers a small amount of leverage. 
Uh, Bitfinex, of course, that's Hong Kong, which I don't know. I think it's technically not China still, because it's, uh, you know, it's independent still, even though Hong Kong is a weird situation. Uh, but yeah, so that, that was very interesting. So what, what do you think, Michael? What do you think the impacts of uh, Chinese regulation are going to be on the whole ecosystem? So if you go back to like some of the things we heard in the conference, it, it seemed like, especially from someone like John McAfee, he was saying, China, China isn't going to give up. If, if China sees value in, in Bitcoin, which apparently they definitely have, like as far as the state side goes, they're they're not gonna, you know. Yeah, and I would agree with him. I mean, they're, it, they're not gonna prevent their citizens from being wealthy, and then you know that. Well, I I think they realize, and and I hope the U.S. government realizes as well, is that this is this is a big thing in the future, and and potentially it's going to be a lot lot bigger, and so like like, the the boneheaded moves of of the state of New York and the New York Department of of Financial Services under Ben Lasky have just led to New York, which is like one of the major financial centers of the world, being practically non-existent in this space, which is, you know, to me, incredibly short-sighted because they wanted to create, you know, a regulatory framework and they ended up just driving everybody dealing with the stuff out of the state of New York. Uh, that was another thing. Um, Coinbase did actually get a bit licensed. Coinbase, though. I mean, Coinbase is everywhere actually got a bit licensed so finally they can do business in the state of New York again. But that's just, they're the only ones so far, them and ItBit, I believe, are the only ones, which is ridiculous. Let's, uh, let's move on uh, to something else, or I, I want to I talk about one more, uh, we, we can save that for a little bit. Let's talk about some random stuff before okay. we move on to other things. So I have a I have my newest conspiracy. So if you don't know me, I love conspiracy theories. I don't you're, necessarily. You're a truther, aren't you? Maybe. Maybe. So I, I it's not that I necessarily believe uh, in conspiracies. Uh huh. I just love conspiracies because they're so interesting and they'll make you think. So yeah, the nine eleven conspiracy is very interesting. Uh, the flat Earth theory is very interesting. Now, do I believe some, like something like the flat like there's a flat Earth? No, but I think it's interesting to hear people argue points and to get debunked, and then those people attempt to debunk the debunks, and it's just interesting to me. It's like uh, yeah, I've you know, been it's told just I'm a conspiracy theorist. Well, you put me to shame. Well, <laughs> well uh, you know, it, it's just I guess I guess you would say it's like a hobby, just you know, knowing about them. Yeah. Um, whatever, but. So my, my newest my theory, yeah. I, so I wanted to invent a conspiracy theory. Okay. My newest conspiracy theory is I don't think you invent them. I think you discover them. Is is how that works? No, I, I'm pretty sure you invent. <laughs> I'm pretty sure all conspiracies are someone invented. Okay. Uh, out of imagination. Yeah. And partial truth. Well, I mean, like, like an actual <laughs> like, because there have been a lot of conspiracy theories, like like the Teapot Dome scandal and Watergate. Those were both conspiracy theories at one point. You know, so well, well, I don't like the conspiracy theories that end up being true. I like the conspiracy theories that you can't possibly <laughs> prove wrong or right. Okay. Those are the more interesting ones. All right, I follow. Because uh, you can watch people argue about it, and it's just fun. <laughs> um, but my, so the one I'm making is Jeff Garzik of Atlanta with a block is actually an ASIC mining robot. Oh, 
Okay. You think Maybe not a mining robot, but he. But I think he is uh, subhuman. Okay. I've I've met Jeff Garzik. He didn't appear like a robot. He had a burger. Actually, here at this very place. I don't know if I believe you. Do you have any proof? Oh, well, I met a man who purported himself to be Jeff Garzik. That's fine. He was on the roster of the meetup group that night. I mean, there, there's nothing wrong with a robot RSVP into a meetup. Okay. So, so you, you think he's a sentient... So I think his social chip has malfunctioned. Okay. Because... So I've tried to meet with Jeff Garzik a couple times. I don't know if you know this, but... So actually three times. Mm -hmm. And he hasn't been able to make it, but... Not to say he's probably going through whatever robots have to do. Uh, you know, they're probably real busy, maintenance, whatever. But I think he knew I was coming to uh, the Miami conference. And I think that's why he didn't come to that as well. Okay, yeah. That's a bit of an ego trip there. <laughs> I, I, think, I think if he canceled it, if there was like 500 people, I'm sure he pissed off a lot of them at some point. <laughs> like, I, I doubt he would just cancel just for the sake of, oh, shit, I might bump into that one guy. But you never know. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, if you're listening to this... He's not. Nobody um, is. <laughs> I, I, I'm interested to meet with you and hang out. So, I, I would hope, like to see Jeff again too. Yeah, Jeff. Jeff, hopefully we can like interview you, or you can just come hang out with us and drink beer or something. All right, let's. Oh, so Clark Howard. So if you don't know who Clark Howard is, he's a very famous radio personality slash TV show uh, person. He's uh has has a big presence in Atlanta. He called out Bitcoin on his show uh, a couple weeks ago, calling Bitcoin a. Uh, a scam rip. So it was on his scam ripoff alert section of his show. So this is when uh, the price of Bitcoin pumped to over a thousand dollars. Just recently. This is just recently. Yeah, like a, like a week and a half ago or a week ago or whatever. I'm sure um, he feels very validated in his opinion. So I, and I don't blame him. He's he's protecting his people of Atlanta from investing in something risky. Um, he he called investing in Bitcoin is no different than gambling. Well, that's kind of true, but the same deal with the stock market or anything else. So I don't know if I would say like a total stock market index, but definitely a single stock oh, is kind of like gambling as well. Oh, I definitely would. A total stock market index. Well, look what happened in 2008. So if you bought in everything, just threw it in in like June of 2007, mm -hmm. like you would have lost half your shit for about four years. That's gambling. <laughs> I mean, it was it was a pretty quick recovery. I don't know if I would say four years. It was it was probably like uh, no, no. At, to, at the end to of to get four, it back to the levels that yeah no they, it, it's amazing if you look at the graph it just falls off like a cliff. Well, regardless. Uh, well, yeah, but I mean, so so yeah, Bitcoin recovered pretty quickly too, and in less time. Oh, what was it? Yeah. Are you are you making like after 2013? Now yeah. it's like 2016. Oh yeah, or 17. It's it, about it, the same it dropped, amount of time. It dropped actually. lower. No, no, but it dropped way lower. But it recovered more quickly. Uh, okay, maybe we'll just agree to disagree. Um, no, the facts are there. We can look them up later. Anyways, um, I thought that was interesting. So I've called Clark Howard before, and I've I've told him about Bitcoin on air, and he's blown me off. I just said, hey, this is something that, you know, just to look at. And hindsight, you know, we probably shouldn't pump Bitcoin at all. No. 
probably just talk I, about I'm it. I'm trying never to. I, I would really, say I do. I would say it's hard. Not you should do. probably never tell someone to actually invest in it. And I think the it the problem is this is the first technology that is very closely interesting with price. I don't know correlated, you know, with the well, as, it's, as it's far the as the first media coverage. That, that is itself an asset. Yeah. I mean, so like, well, I mean, that could be argued that statement, but I mean, it, it is itself a tradable security. So that's not true of hardly any other technology for the last like what five hundred years or so. Maybe like serial keys for video games or something. Yeah, but I mean, or serial not like keys a for like software. A, there's not much of a major secondary market for those. It's not. No, like I'm not. Go I mean, and, so the problem yeah, with the on. problem with the serial keys for software is you can double spend them. Well, yeah, but I mean, there's, there's, well, <laughs> and you, yeah. you know what I'm saying. So but again, they're, they're not tradable. There's no associated no, you can, price you can, on a mass market. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. They're well. They, I mean, so if I have a so if I have a Adobe Photoshop uh, key, uh huh, you you can sell that. Right, you can potentially, but the, that market's but, not really there because you can double spend those. It, it, well, keys. it's not a commodity though. Those aren't a commodity. Bitcoin, you know, for lack of, of its minor fungibility issues, it is effectively a commodity. So. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a mass market. It's it's not as big as some of the greater. It's not as big as like pork pork bellies or frozen concentrated orange juice. Uh, you want to get a refill? Yeah. And, uh, we'll we'll edit this. Sure. Okay. And we're back. And we're back. So another random tidbit was Julian Assange gave a live. Uh, broadcast out from his room or something, or he, it looked like he had a green screen behind him. I didn't actually see the video. I heard about this, though. So, <laughs> one thing, so the reason why I'm bringing this up is because he did something interesting. One of the people in the chat said they didn't believe it was really him. They thought it was a pre-recorded message. So, what he did was, I don't know what website he went to, but he read off the, the last block that was mined in the Bitcoin blockchain. Yeah. Which... <laughs> was awesome. It yeah, was, I'm calling that life. proof of life. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, no, you don't have to. Like, that, that's an old term, man. No, I, I yeah. So okay, like, right. proof, proof So how do they do proof of life back in the day? They have them hold up a, today's newspaper and take a picture. That means they were alive today. Yeah, you could print a newspaper early. No, you can't. Not not, not more than a couple days early. I mean, you, know, you have could, to like. You can't make up the news before it happens. You don't know what the headline's going to be. So. Wait, so, okay. Uh, yeah, proof of life. It's, oh. it's an old concept. Okay. Anytime anybody I, I, has I, ransom, it's proof of life. I, I, I see what you're saying. You, you're kind of you're killing my vibe right now. I'm sorry. Well, I wanted I mean, Bitcoin, like, I wanted Bitcoin to be the thing. first time you could do this. No. Okay. <laughs> no, people used to use newspapers all the time. Although, this is like up to the minute. You can't do that with the old ones. Because like, this is the last block, which is on average 10 minutes. So you can tell, yeah, he was alive 10 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> so if like you printed a newspaper early, you would uh, and you're like a. Well, you would have to know. You, the you news. would ha no. You would have to make the news true. Well, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you so, have like, to like if go you can out. Tell the future to that degree. <laughs> your best bet is not to kidnap somebody for ransom. Your best bet is to go like make a speculative bet on something you know is going to happen. But what, yeah. What's some more random stuff? Oh, we. All right. So you want to talk about this? Uh, what we're talking about as far as why Bitcoin's going to not really get messed up as far as. You know, because I was arguing it was the 21 million cap, but you're saying it was the audibility of Bitcoin. For what? So I think the bit. All right, so I'll I'll just state my uh, yeah, my case. Ahead. I'll argue with you. I, I always do. <laughs> so I think the the biggest reason Bitcoin won't get fractional reserved 
extremely, like mass fractional reserved and mass scams off chain won't happen. And I'm talking like in a broad sense, and I'm not trying to say fractional reserve is a scam. I'm just saying that scams that involve kind of like Ponzi's that where, where you might, you know, hold a fraction of the Bitcoin, even though you're saying you're holding the whole amount. So the reason why that won't happen on a large scale is because everyone knows the 21 million limit. So it'll, if, if you're off by like a factor of like 0.5 or 2 or whatever, or, you know, whatever it might be, it's going to be very clear, I think, to the public. P people in the public are going to be suspicious. They're going to demand proof. And if and when you can't prove and when you can't prove something, it's going to be pretty obvious that something is a scam. And I think it, what really holds this all together is going to be the the cap on how many maximum coins there are. So, well, I think I think those are two sides of the same thing because here's the problem with that, right? Is the cap's only any good is if you yourself know any one individual exceeded the cap or the, the aggregate of three three different companies together combined. So you don't necessarily have that information unless it's published in financials, right? You only know what your account balance is, and chances are it's going to be much, much less than $21 million. So my question back would be, how do you know that the aggregate doesn't exceed $21 million? But it goes to the same thing that I'm saying is it only works if, if customers of these services that, you know, if you have Bitcoin custodial services, which I think are a terrible idea, uh, you know, they, they're, they're good in limited use, like exchanges. Exchanges are, you know, obviously you have to have some custodial uh, because you have to have put Bitcoin up to trade and they have to know they have the ability to give it to somebody else when you click that button. Uh, you know, and we could have some minor decentralized services, but for fiat, that's very difficult. So get, getting back to it, I think customers of any service that does hold it, such be it uh, an ETF, like the Bitcoin ETF, the Winklevoss one, uh, any of those services, they will demand that there is auditability. I actually sent a letter to the SEC demanding such from the Winklevoss ETF. Uh, and, and they changed their filings so as to make it amenable. I mean, it's not exactly what I proposed, but it, it works. I have no complaints about the way that they plan to implement it now because it will be auditable uh, to anybody on the outside that, in fact, they do have control exhibited of all of the coins that they purport to hold. And, you know, so if, if you can do that and you can prove control, the next thing you have to prove some sort of measure of allocation to say, hey, these are your coins, right? So you can say that the total aggregate of coins does not equal, because you could say, hey, Michael, you have 20 Bitcoins with us, but they could be the same 20 Bitcoins that I have. And they say, hey, look, we have 20 Bitcoins. So there has to be some other way to say, okay, here's the aggregate of all of the holdings, this is all we're claiming to hold, and this is the auditability on the blockchain, because it's trivial to do on the blockchain. You can say, you know, you can sign a message, and, you know, that gets into some quantum vulnerabilities, but you can make a transaction on a periodic basis to a new green account, a new green address, and it, it at that point, it puts no quantum risk. Yeah, when you, obviously, in my opinion, Eventually, you'll have systems that can be audited with every single block. You know, you're going to be able to prove that they still hold the funds or whatever. But until that happens, the the silver lining to all this is they can't massively, you know, fraud the numbers to where, you know, the. I just think it's it's very easy, as if if they start doing like a factor of two, factor of three, factor of four, as far as what they actually hold and what they're giving out. It's going to be it's going to be 
more and more suspicious, more and more people are going to start talking, and it's just going to be easier for them to find out. So, so you, you brought up two things. You brought up Mount Cox, and you brought up conspiracy theories. Would you, would you like to hear mine? Sure. So I, I keep hearing over and over again that the 2013 run-up, the big one, there were two, but the big one was due to Willie Bot. I've heard uh, that. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear it all over. <laughs> to this day, I hear it all the time. And I don't believe it. I, I believe Willie Bot was a real thing. Uh, and, and I believe it had a real purpose. It was operating on Mount Gox, and I believe it was operating for the operators of Mount Gox. Um, but here's my theory. This is what I think happened. So they say there was a hack, there was a breach. Um, I don't think it actually was hacked. Uh, at first I thought maybe maybe the coins were, a large portion were secured so well that uh, Mark Carpellis couldn't get at them himself. Uh, and, and I thought that was a possibility. But I, I no longer think that. What I think happened, and this has to do with Dwala. Do you have you ever heard of Dwala? That's, you, that's, that's how people. Uh, that's how people used to buy Bitcoin. Right. So uh, this was way back in 2013. So there was a FinCEN hearing on Capitol Hill. I remember being glued to my computer screen. I actually, you know, I said nobody bother me while I was at work, and I had to, you know, I took lunch and I watched. <laughs> the Finson hearings with, with bated breath. And I was actually very, very uh, impressed and pleased that they said Bitcoin needs no further financial regulations. The one on the books are adequate. They just have to be enforced. So, but the one thing they made absolutely clear in that is that um, they uh, anybody operating in this realm with U.S. customers has to file appropriate paperwork for as a money transmitter. So, Mark Carpellis, and you know, he, he was in operating Mount Gox out of Japan. So he was basically. Who apparently now is in the Coin Dojo. I don't know if that's yeah, a real. I saw that. Yeah, I, I don't, don't know, know if that's really him. That, that's kind of cool. I mean, hey, it wouldn't you know, be the first time he was smurfed in. Yeah, because well, someone else. I've seen him in before. I don't know it if it might really be him. He's out now. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, here's what I think happened, and you know, I'm, I, 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 he can't comment because of you know obvious reasons. But here's what I think happened. I think uh, what happened is after that Finson thing, Mount Gox didn't comply. So uh, the U.S. government, Department of Justice, or whatever, took took action, and they were funneling funds from Dwala. It was at the time I remember using it. It was the easiest way to get into um, Mount Gox. Was you deposit funds from a bank into the wall, and then transfer from the wall to Mount Gox. They give you Gox credits, and then you then buy Bitcoin. That was the easiest way to get Bitcoin from the United States. Um, well, what happened is they shut them down, and they seized like four point seven million dollars or some junk. Uh, that Dwala had in their bank accounts on behalf of Mount Gox that Mount Gox had already taken and redeemed. So they did this. Um, and so what I think is this was actually a severe blow to the operating capital of Mount Gox. And, and because they had such a severe blow to it, uh, I think Mark looked at it and said, hey, no problem. We're the number one Bitcoin exchange in the, old, in the entire world. We have 80% of the liquidity as far as trade goes, we've got all the bitcoins in the world, and this is fine. So I think he borrowed some coins and sold them on his own market. Um, and so at that point, he began run, running a fractional reserve. Um, 
and that was fine because at the time, if you remember, the price of bitcoins was about like thirty or forty dollars, something like that. It was it was well below the the hundred dollar mark. Uh, maybe it was seventy. I don't know. So what happened though? Hey, is, Mike, real quick. Yeah, we don't got all night. We have Catan tonight. With, yeah. with a bunch of people. Yeah. We might even have two boards of Catan going, so hurry the fuck nice. up. Well, I'm getting there. Fucking A. Anyway, so what happened is the... So he ran out of liquidity, and he started borrowing money and selling customers' funds. And then, um, and then the epic price rise of 2013 was not caused by Willie Bot. It was aided by it. But it was caused by speculation. So I think Mark Carpelli's all the money that he took, all the Bitcoin he took and sold ahead of time, he created WillyBot in an attempt to buy back. Because WillyBot was doing a constant buy, uh, trying to buy the dip at everything, and but it kept going up. So the, the it, it had to be adjusted. So he kept buying and buying and buying more because it kept getting more and more expensive to buy back the Bitcoin he had already sold. So he short sold a shit ton of Bitcoin really, really low. So then, so he, fucked up. he fucked up bad. Yeah. So so that's it, interesting. Yeah. So so has anyone else come up with that theory? Uh, I've heard a couple of other people say things along similar lines, but I haven't heard a whole lot publicly. I mean, not that I know of. So you want to hear something interesting that happened today? What? So I, I um I you know Hyperledger. I love poking at Hyperledger, asking their core devs questions. Yeah. Or, you know, at least not necessarily their core devs, but I have talked to one of their core devs. Just anyone who wants to talk about it because I'm trying to figure out if Hyperledger really has a good use case. I mean, so, I think there are limited use cases for consortium blockchains. Well, here's here's the latest. So I went back and forth with this guy on their Slack channel, and eventually it came down to this. So actually, let me let me pull it up because he said something funny. Um, oh, he actually wrote more. Oh wow. Okay. Well, let me read what he originally wrote because I don't have time to read all this. Wow. No miners are needed. You're getting into the implementation details and pushing up against my boundaries of my current level of knowledge. I think nonces may still be used in place to help prevent replay attacks and stuff like that. First off, whenever you have a centralized, trusted system, you can't prevent uh, replay. You can't you can't prevent the idea if uh, of security through replay attacks or whatever because you can always replay stuff off, edit, alter things, and replay it back onto a new system or whatever. As long as as long as enough people are in on are in on that. Well, well, yeah. I mean, there, so, that's so the there's key of a consortium blockchain is if, if you have a majority rule. Yeah, but but then my question always goes back to why blocks? You don't really need blocks when you have that kind of trusted system. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you you, you, you can you can use a you can use a ledger, but you yeah. it doesn't have to be in increments of blocks. Well, yeah, that's the the in my mind the whole point of having a blockchain is immutability anyways this guy blockchain, you don't have this that. guy goes on and on and on and on he wrote he man we talked he, he he blasted me with like 30 paragraphs of stuff um and then finally says i need to talk to the fabric consensus devs or the fabric crypto uh i need to change channels to those people um which i did which was funny because no one responds to me but then he did too <laughs> um 
this guy has actually helped me understand a lot about Hyperledger, which is cool because some of the I, I talked to one of the core devs of all things open, they didn't even know all this stuff, well, which maybe, is really cool. So this guy definitely should, knows what he's talking about as far as Hyperledger, but maybe we should try to have this guy do it. Like, oh, I was going to say let, we should interview this guy. Yeah. So this is a problem. I've already hit up against his. What, what's the term he uses? Um, I'm pushing up against the boundaries of his current level of knowledge. So, uh, so, you, so I, so I don't think it'd be an interesting. I don't think it'd be an interesting interview. I'd want to interview maybe him and someone else, like a core dev or something. But crap, where was I going? This you interrupted me. I remember. So, so now it's fabric. Fabric is like the new term as far as the IBM Hyperledger blockchain stuff. Mm-hmm. Thought you'd find that interesting. Yeah. So now yeah. they're calling it fabric. Interesting. So now that's that's how they're marketing it. I think we're gonna have to sign off now because we gotta get going. Whoa! Fuck that! It's only nine o two. We're meeting at nine. No. Yeah. When did no. you set the reservation? Yeah. So I should know. Why are you saying? Well, nine? tell me. You signed thirty. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. I let me let other people know. Did All you right. let Miguel know? I said nine on the chat with you, uh, Miguel. He's he's on he's on Guatemalan time. He'll get there by nine thirty. <laughs> he's gonna be pissed. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap it up. Let's. I want to edit this part out. Uh, real quick. We didn't talk about your paper. No, we won't next time. All right. All right. Nobody. Let's, nobody cares. Let's talk. Let's, <laughs> real quick, I want to talk about ID God. So, have you heard of ID God? Yes. Um, Do you know anyone who's used it? Uh, no. Okay. So, John Seth has officially decentralized his identity. I was. I was thinking about. Getting like a bunch of, so I was thinking about um, getting like a bunch of Junseth ID cards, but is that illegal? What? How illegal is it to own a bunch of Junseth ID cards? Owning a forged ID is very illegal. Yeah, but what if it, like, how illegal is it? Pretty illegal. I mean, I know Ross Ulbricht, that was one of his charges. It's almost like I want to be funny and have fun with this, but I don't want to possibly get in trouble, like with law and stuff. I wouldn't do it. Wow, that's boring. <laughs> I, I, I still want to do this. But the fact that it's illegal is, is kind of... Because then you wouldn't be able to necessarily talk about it publicly. Yeah. yeah anyways. Did you did you ever... Did you... Um, oh, did you know Emin uh, with T-Chan? Did you ever look into that? I didn't look into T-Chan... Directly, uh, Emmons implementation of it. I'm familiar with the concept and the guy at the meetup. Did you did you see the presentation on the trusted execution environments? Uh, of course, phones? Rivets guy. That the Rivets guy. That yeah. was really cool stuff. I thought. Yeah. Uh. Well, I don't know what that has to do with Tchan. Well, it's trusted execution environment. It's the same concept, only a different application. So. Uh, okay. Yeah. Trusted. Secure hardware. Yeah. yeah secure hardware. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, he. So. So they. They came out with uh, him and like a bunch of people at his university or whatever came up with a white paper. Mm-hmm. I think. And um, they. They. I don't know if it's a white paper or an article about the white paper, but they brought up a good point, which was if everyone in Venezuela wanted to write to the Bitcoin blockchain, one citizen would get a write, and this is. Re- I think. Not even thinking about transaction fee. This is just how big the blocks are. One citizen would write to the Bitcoin blockchain once every 72 days. So 
he was saying you can't use that as far as normal crap. You need some kind of off off chain transaction. Yeah. And then the other cool the other part that he brought up was even if you double, let's say you double, triple, quadruple the block size, well, you're only going up a factor of four. So instead of 72 days, it'd be like 36 or like 20 days. And that's actually a, a pretty good point uh, with, with the block size because if, if, if you're even opening up these payment channels, we're talking about you're only going to open up a payment channel every 72 days or every 24 you know days if, if the block size was three megabytes even. And this is just for Venezuela all using uh, Bitcoin blockchain, not even to think about like a worldwide use of it. I'll tell you what, what scares me about T-Chan is, is the fact that we don't know what extra equipment uh, currently like Intel is being forced to embed in their processors. So this ties you to a single environment, a single processor can run this. It's all Intel based, so you can't run it on AMD chips. So, you know, if you want to get all conspiracy theory on it, uh, if, if the NSA compromises this, they can totally pwn everybody's private keys, whoever uses the service. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't I know either, but... I haven't looked in. Uh, let's, let's, let's skip on to the hackathon. Hackathon. So there's a hackathon in Miami. Um... I placed fourth at it. Congratulations. Thank That's you. That's quite achievement. You did that solo, too. Solo. I almost... So I almost scammed myself into getting a partner and splitting that reward. Yep. Uh, that was kind of funny. Because this, this one guy, a uh, cool guy named Antoine, wanted to partner with me. But I was like, dude, I kind of already know what I want to do. I don't know how much we want to talk about this. Because we pretty much covered this in the interview with Tone. I mean... Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Okay. We yeah. We, we don't have to talk yeah. about it. <laughs> but... but it, I'm just happy, you know. Yeah, no, it's happy an awesome about that. achievement. How, how much? How much did you win? One point five. One point five. And I've already sold all of it. No, yeah. I I, I mean, hold no Bitcoin. Of course not. Um, I'm, I probably already profited off of it. You have profit. Yeah. How are you going to pay your taxes on said profit? I don't know. I'm going to have to talk to. So you know your. Tax so I want to do. I want to do TurboTax or something. So this is important. I'm going to say. There's every, a Bitcoin section. Every opportunity I get, pay your taxes, people. Just do it. Just do it. So what else? Oh, um, so you know how I used Tyrion for my hackathon project? And for those who didn't listen to the Tone interview or whatever, um, the my hackathon project was using a, a, cl a clinical trial consent uh, anchoring system where the consent of the patient was anchored into the Bitcoin blockchain using Tyrion. Anyways, Jay from the you know New York invades Miami. Yep. I was talking to him about Tyrion, and uh, he had some interesting views on it, like not using op return instead using like contract, like pay to contract hash or something. Have you? Maybe no, you know what I'm talking about. I don't know what pay to contract hash. Is. Maybe I'm saying it wrong, but anyways, it was it was essentially uh, accomplishing something similar. Another another kind of cool part, uh, Tyrion 2.0 or whatever. I don't think is going to need op return. Just. I thought maybe it's not interesting. Um, I'd be interested yeah, in so, the architecture because I, I, I broad strokes definitely understand how Tyrion works, but I, yeah. I don't know how that. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Oh, we did a bunch of we did a bunch of interviews at the. Oh, we did we did some we did a couple several. So let's listen out. We interviewed Tone Base. We interviewed um, Tone Avi. 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 Yeah, that guy. Uh, Fluffy Pony. Fluffy Pony. And Bitcoin Airlog. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Attica. So yes, yeah, yeah. so so we did we did four interviews. I want to be wow, posting that's a lot. Yeah, I want to be posting those us, up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, which one did you like the most as far as those interviews? I don't know. I kind of actually like the one with Tone. 
I mean, and yeah. Fluffy, no, Fluffy Pony was awesome, though. It was short I mean, and sweet. I had so much fun with Fluffy. Uh, you see, that guy knows his shit. You he know? has proof, <laughs> he has he has POF, proof of fluffiness. Yeah, yeah. He, so, that guy's great. So, if you, um, one thing about, I think the biggest takeaway for me, which wasn't really a takeaway, but the biggest thing I, I think is, if Fluffy doesn't want to pump Monero, he needs to stop being so fluffy, or likable. <laughs> That's kind of a synonym, right? Well, that's the whole thing, is he doesn't pump it. Because that was the thing, because I, I heard him say, oh, I tell people not to buy Monero. But I, I always took that as to mean there's something wrong with Monero. But no, there's never nothing wrong with Monero. It's like, I don't know. All right, so you know what's interesting is John McAfee gave some interviews after his talk. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, he interviewed uh, with BU. Yeah, he interviewed with BU and Tone. And Tone, not Yeah. Well, we're not big league like Tone. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> Um, we didn't even get interviewed by BU. Well, we're 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 not we're not we're not famous Chris enough said yet. He wanted to do like a joint show sometime. Oh really? Yeah, I know that. Part. Yeah. <laughs> see, that's I, the I thing. So, so that. that's the thing about. Let's talk about Krista Rose. Yeah. So see, he says some things, like for instance, he said, uh, like a week ago or two weeks ago. Uh, Bitcoin can't hit ten trillion dollars. It's not possible. It crumbled the infrastructure or something. It all depends on it, what it, use case uh, it's at. Well, you know, he just he, there's a couple things. There's a couple things he says where I want to I want to know the numbers of how he's getting to that. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is if you come up with a number yeah. like that, the question is how did you come to that number? And he didn't really have a good answer, in my opinion. Well, I mean, no. yeah, he, he didn't have, have he didn't actually have an answer. It was pretty much. It was just the, the kind of a dumb assumption saying, well, if you have the current hash rate and you have a 10 trillion market cap, then Bitcoin could be attacked. Uh, it was, it's more likely for Bitcoin to be attacked, but that's pretty obvious. See, I, mean, I, see I don't, I've never followed that whole line of reasoning, so I would like him to explain in detail that whole line of reasoning. Well, I would like them to also go into the, I mean, this is something I want to research too. Like, even if the, if the market, or sorry, even if the hash rate to market cap is way out of whack, mm -hmm. What if you can't get your hands on miners? I mean, at some point, that that comes into play too. I mean, you just well, don't see, have unlimited. Yeah, you you can attack it, or you know, I think he's thinking maybe you could pay miners more than they're making. Yeah, uh, that's do. also. I think that's what he's saying. That's. But I that's mean, interesting. Yeah, well, it's an interesting argument, but that that assumes that that miners have absolutely no interest in protecting their mine security. You know yeah. what I mean? So so if miners. That that would he's correct if miners are not holders in any any regard, you know. Because if miners don't hold any Bitcoin, then they have zero incentive. They don't give a shit. So I would say BU definitely stole the the show at uh yeah. at the Miami <laughs> oh, uh, that, Bitcoin that goes conference, saying, especially so, the first day. Oh, dude. Uh, yeah, I mean, the fact that they set up shop in the bathroom was just so BU. Yeah, it yeah. was. Okay, so so I had I had the most Bitcoin moment I can think of um, at the conference. So Roger Ver had just you know given his presentation, and I had to walk out and take crap. Uh, so I walked out of the conference room, and and uh, so I walked out and I saw Chris Rose and Joseph standing there, uh, having just gotten badges. And, uh, and they're sitting there, and they're, they're talking with Roger Ver, and, um, and Mo Levin, the, the conference organizer, who they, you know, fought virulently last year over Bitcoin. Um, so he comes out, and he asks, do you have badges? 
It just it says, yes, actually, we do. We scam them. <laughs> and, and this was as I was walking by, and I just had to laugh because that was the most Bitcoin thing I think I've ever experienced. It was awesome. <laughs> you know, I think our most interesting interview to me, so you said yours was fluffy. Mine was uh, with Avi. Oh, Avi? I thought, I thought he was a really interesting I guy. I like him. Yeah, so Avi apparently has found uh, a slit, uh, a facet in time where mining has been profitable for a newbie. That's pretty incredible, actually. So if that's true, I think it's kind of a, kind of a just a luck, just kind of lucky. Kind of he picked a lucky time you to know what's start mining. Up though, I actually I met another miner at, at the the meetup yesterday. Not our meetup, but the Bitcoin Atlanta meetup. Sure. And I have not seen a miner at that meetup in three years i ask around hey what are you what do you do and i've not heard anybody say oh i mine bitcoin in in over three years now so that was really cool and he's apparently been mining this entire time he's an older guy did uh before we sign out or did you want to talk about anything else no, i have a couple I, more I, things I if you I'm want good. you know adam back you had a lot of conversations with Adam back not uh, a lot i just had a right. brief so so you want to pump your paper real quick before we um, I got. How can they piece. find it? it? You just search speculative adoption Bitcoin, and it should be one of the first Michael B. Casey as opposed to Michael J. Casey. Um, if if you see that, uh, yeah, go ahead and give it a read. It's ten minute read. It's not that bad. Lots of charts. So, um, I will we'll talk about it on a future episode when you give me some time. Uh, I mean, they can they can read the paper. I'm sure they can. They're all. You're bit. you're supposed to tease the audience into reading your paper. You don't no, want to they tell can them. Read it if they want. It's like it's like a five minute read. It's not that long. It's mainly graphs. Yeah, it, it, it's it's not. It's bad. like it's like a tone vase. <laughs> well, it's it's what it is. Tone vase is all graphs. Really, really, really briefly is um, I basically took the trends that I've observed and operating under the assumption that. Bitcoin's going to take over pretty much everything. If it is, this is how it's going to do it. That's so, that's my so theory. so my my theory is, and this is a this is a counter theory that goes off of no science but just gut. You ready for this? Yep. Bitcoin cannot sustain on average over let's say like a five year moving window, a hundred percent returns per year, and that's just a gut. And yeah. I'm going to go with it, and we'll see who's more correct in like twenty years from now. Well, see, if, if I mean, Bitcoin's still around, see, by by you say on average, yeah, that becomes very arbitrary. No, no, that's the point. I want to be as arbitrary because <laughs> I'm predicting something. So, so in you know, well, see, that's this is well, that raises a good point, and that's the same so, point I say. My but, but that I'm also wait, hold on. exceptionally vague. The hold, directional. hold on. So that also means by 2027, Bitcoin will be a million dollars. So, well, you know, yeah, but hey. I mean, it, well, see, that's the whole thing. Is at some point that has to end. Yeah, because you can't go up forever. Uh, Real quick, the conference. What was your favorite? Uh, what was your favorite talk at the conference? Mine uh, was the rivets guy. I actually, I, I well, okay. Did my you like favorite, flip? technically, oh, flip was awesome. I love flip. So, well, uh, flip was just a just straight up Kurzweil, which, <laughs> which I love that shit. I eat it up. Um, and, and you know, that's the thing. My paper was based on Kurzweil largely. So, uh, and uh, I really dug uh, McAfee's. Speech, John McAfee, <clears throat> McAfee, 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 that guy. Um, 
I thought it was very good. Uh, I think Bitcoin Aerolog disagreed. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, it was. Just, I think it went mainly for like funny. It didn't really have much. I mean, the well, no, the, the I biggest think he made a couple serious points. I mean, I think people do not take security as seriously as he warns that we should take it. That's yeah. a very important point. Like, if you have if well, you're pretty much to not get hacked. Don't watch porn on your phone. That's the well, biggest no, takeaway no. from his. Well, yeah, that, that was that was one his, of the takeaways. Uh, but here, here's another: is everybody now? He's saying that they have deployed a massive net that's going to go and steal everybody's Bitcoin from everybody's whose device who's exposed, and they just were going to flip the switch, which makes sense. They flipped the switch once. All right, so we we have to get to Catan. I'm getting texted by like four people. Like, hey, all where right. Are you? Uh, so, you want to try the, yeah, go, you, you, you want to try the outro? <laughs> you do it. The nonce has been found. A heart block has been sealed. Thanks for propagating with us. Have a good night, everybody. Night. All right, so let's go Catan. <laughs>